Hi, everyone. You are now listening to BCC Sermons. Thanks for tuning in. Passing this torch on to the next generation was the Apostle Paul's priority to his young disciple named Timothy. And as we read in Scripture where we see how God used this relationship between the Apostle Paul and Timothy, we understand this idea of legacy. And Paul didn't mean um, to invest in a legacy based on himself because often when we think about the term of legacy, we think, how are people going to remember me? We make it very us central. And Paul wasn't making it about himself to where he thought, how are people going to remember the name Paul, right? They, that wasn't his focus. His focus of legacy was about making sure that the name of Jesus and this gospel message was passed down to the next generation, that this priority of eternity and eternal living would be passed down to the next generation. And Timothy was the guy that he had been walking with and pouring into. And so he writes these letters to him, wanting to encourage him and make sure that he's equipped. And so in the letter that he wrote that we know as 2 Timothy, is what we believe is the last recorded writing of the Apostle Paul uh, before perhaps he was even put to death as he uses language knowing that perhaps his time is drawing near. But at the same time, he's not interested in people remembering Paul. He's interested in Timothy making sure he remembers Jesus and the priority that he's called to live with. And that's the same priority you and I are called to live with, to leave this strong legacy of a gospel that is strong for generations to come and for generations that will outlive us. That's why we say at BCC that we want to impact every generation beyond our lifetime. That's why we invest in children's ministry. That's why we invest in student ministry. But it doesn't just stop there. It's something that God has called all of us to. So let's go over to Scripture in 2 Timothy chapter 2, and let's see what the Apostle Paul says. We're going to jump around through this letter of 2 Timothy today, so you can just kind of get comfortable there. And we're going to start in the second chapter of 2 Timothy, and we're going to start by reading the first few verses here of that second chapter. He says this, Paul writes, You then, my child... You see the fathering love, the love verbiage that he's using for Timothy. You're my child, my child in the faith, even though they weren't blood relatives. He's saying, you then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus and what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. So here, the apostle Paul wants to invest the idea in Timothy that what I've taught you, go teach others. He's saying the mentoring that I've done, the intentionality that I have lived my life with you and the things I've showed you, the things I've modeled for you, the things I've taught to you, go and entrust to others as well. This is now your task to do what I've done. And he said to him not to rely on your own wit, your own strength, your own uh, ability. He said, no, depend on the grace of Jesus Christ. He said, find strength from the grace of Jesus Christ. So that way, he's trying to create this idea and this awareness of a reliance upon Jesus to do this thing that we call mentoring and passing on his faith to the next generation. So many people 
They get stuck in this idea of thinking it's got to be something about me. And Paul's saying the exact opposite. No, it's not about you. It's about your reliance on Jesus. Your job, Timothy, is to be obedient and to make sure that you're passing on a strong faith to the next generation. He says this in verse 3. This is not fun or popular. Share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. Well, that doesn't sound very nice. He said share in the suffering of our Lord Christ Jesus. He's saying, listen, Timothy. There's going to be difficult things, but as you suffer for the name of Christ, count it an honor because Paul said himself, I count it an honor to suffer because I'm counting it as me suffering as Christ suffered for me. So don't avoid those difficulties. Instead, embrace those and count them as how can God use them to both help me to grow and also to bring him glory as we remain faithful through the trials. Verse 4 He says, no soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. An athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. It's the hardworking farmer who ought to have the first share of the crops. Think over what I say, for the Lord will give you an understanding in everything. And he's using these examples, these illustrations of a a soldier. He's using this illustration of, of someone who understands what they're getting themselves into. An athlete understanding what's ahead of them in order to have that endurance. A farmer who understands I need patience and I also need to understand my role. He's saying the same thing that Jesus said when he talked about the cost of discipleship, where Jesus said that no one goes to build a building without counting the cost first. Because then you won't be able to finish it. And next thing you know, everyone's going to mock that person saying he started building something and couldn't complete it. This is the same idea that Paul's trying to reiterate to Timothy. He's saying, listen, count the cost of this. There is a cost to the call. And you need to understand that cost and the weight that comes along with this. Because this is something that's not always going to be easy. He's saying, Timothy, be strengthened to endure in his grace as your source. His grace is going to be your source that's going to help you to endure. But that doesn't mean necessarily that it's going to be easy. Church, we have to understand this, that the next generation is going to need strength to endure because things are only going to continue to get more challenging in their lives when it comes to being a light in the darkness. It's, it's going to be more challenging in our country, in our world, and even in the church Our goal as Christ followers is not to simply strive for a world that's comfortable for Christians to live in. That's called heaven. All right? That's called heaven. Uh, And a lot of people take this position of trying to make things as easy and as comfortable as possible. And, And the motive can be right. And the motive can be good. And we all who have children have said things like, I don't want my children to have to go through what I went through, right? And we say these things because perhaps there were mistakes that we made, missteps that we took, maybe information we didn't have, and we made mistakes, and we don't want our kids to have to go through the difficulty that those mistakes brought us. So we want better for our children in that regard, and that's a healthy thing to want better for your children in that space. But then there's this other idea where we pursue comfort and ease because we don't want people to have to go through anything difficult, and we think that's the goal. And we as Christians can be deceived thinking that as we live for Christ, Everything's supposed to come easy to us, and we're never supposed to go through difficulty. But Paul says, Timothy, you're going to suffer because of the name of Christ, but I want you to be able to endure that and know what you're getting into as a follower of Christ because Christ suffered for us. 
And for you to be able to endure this is not something you possess on your own. You're going to have to rely on the grace of God because it's not your strength. You're going to have to be strengthened by His grace. In other words, you're going to have to find a source, a why, a place of motivation and resolve to help you to stay focused to continue when things get tough because they're going to get tough. There's going to be people who reject you because you're a Christ follower. There's going to be people who want to abuse you, people who want to take advantage of you, people who want to ostracize you from the, the society of the day because of your stance and you following Christ. And when those pressures come, and when those things come and people want to threaten you with this idea of rejection, you have to be able to know why you do what you do and who you serve and whose you are. Amen. And he's saying, Timothy... That strength comes from the gospel. That, that, that strength comes from the grace of God. Remembering that you didn't get what you deserved. Instead, you got grace. Instead of getting that judgment that ultimately leads to death because of your sin, you got forgiveness and grace and restoration and reconciliation. And you got something you didn't deserve. Stay anchored in that gospel. Because when things get hard, that, that anchor is, good, is what's going to sustain you to be able to continue to stay focused on living in light of eternity and staying focused on this call because there's not an athlete or a soldier or a farmer who gets involved in this without understanding what they have to do and what it's going to take. And he's saying, I want you to get this. I want you to think about this. I want you to understand this. So many people, though, make it their aim and their goal to try to take that, the, the message of comfort to the next generation and make everything easy and comfortable and make it more palatable and make things just simple and we think that that's the goal and, and we can be deceived as Christians because we create these arenas of Christian subculture that we insulate ourselves and we think that it's the goal to simply insulate ourselves and live our lives as comfortable as possible but friend I can't find that in the scripture where we're commanded to do that now, I love Christian subculture. I love that we have Christian uh, things that we can do, Christian music, Christian television, things like that. Those, those, things, those things can be good and edifying. But I don't want to be so immersed in Christian subculture that I am trying to avoid doing things because it may cause me some pain for the sake of the gospel. It may cause me some inconvenience. Or it may cost me something. I may have to intentionally inconvenience myself because God is calling me to do something that may challenge something in me, but, and I would go, oh, I really want to be comfortable. But can I tell you that that's, that's what the cost is, and that's what Paul's trying to convey to Timothy, and we need to pass that value along to the next generation, that they need to be able to stand in spite of the challenges of their day, not avoid the challenges of their day. That when they are challenged, with, with, with why they believe what they believe, that they know it and it's in them and they can not only stand in the face of opposition, but they can pass it on to the next generation. And I'm talking about our children, our grandchildren. Some of you may be fortunate enough to have great-grandchildren. Maybe, uh, maybe a friend, a coworker, a mentoring relationship that God has strategically put you in. Maybe like a, a, a Paul and a Timothy type relationship where God is strategically, strategically calling you to invest in someone to see this gospel message carried out beyond your lifetime. Because church, that's what we're called to do. Because this is bigger than you and me. It's not about us making a name for ourselves. It doesn't matter if people remember Derek Armstrong. It doesn't matter if people remember Paul the Apostle. What matters is that they remember Jesus Christ. Amen? 
And so we're not trying to elevate ourselves and make, leave a legacy where people remember us, but I want them to remember the faith that was lived out and that was invested and that was modeled and that was taught, a love for God, a, a rich, deep love and commitment to his word, a commitment to the things of God and getting to know God and live in a world that's very challenging and living countercultural to that and still being able to be salt and light and see eternity impacted. That's what we want to see. And I want to see them do a better job of it than we've done. Amen? I want to see the next generation that outlives me. I want them to see them do a better job of it than us because it can't end with us because we insulate. It can't end with us because we wanted our comfort, because we preferred our subculture over stepping out into the things that were uncomfortable and inconvenient. Yes, enjoy Christian subculture, but not at the exchange of never going through anything difficult for the gospel or never inconveniencing yourself because are we really sharing in the sufferings with Christ if we don't ever step out into something challenging or something that is something that's difficult or something that that that, that may cause us to be rejected by men because here's the challenge of our day it's not necessarily the same exact type of challenge that Timothy was facing because the biggest thing that was facing Timothy in his day was man these guys were getting arrested they were losing their jobs uh, they were getting ostracized from community they were uh, as things escalated getting killed tortured all of these things that we've read about in the early church that began to happen as they were standing for Christ so it literally was something that they had to be willing to die for. You and I living in America, it's not necessarily that threat that we face every day, that we're worried about someone arresting us because of our stance for Christ or someone torturing us or killing us. We're not necessarily waking up with that type of concern. That's not really the thing that we're concerned about. So what does persecution look like for the church in modern day America? Well, I, I think that some of the biggest thing that the enemy uses as a threat to the church is this idea of rejection, this idea of not being accepted. And so the biggest thing facing the church is the temptation to compromise who we are and who we serve and what we are to stand for simply because people may not like us. People may reject us. People may make things difficult for us in our lives because we stand for Christ. And can I tell you that, that as that message continues to amplify and it seems that the darkness is gaining ground and that, that, that becomes louder, can I tell you that the light actually shines brighter in that darkness? And can I tell you that a generation needs to be ready to stand and know why they believe what they believe and, be, and have that invested in them? How are they going to get there? How are they going to get from where they're at now if our priority is just to make things easy and comfortable, no, no, no. We have to model and show for them a value of the gospel. We have to show them a value of loving and serving God. We have to show them a priority, something that spans beyond what's convenient, what's comfortable, what's easy, even what we would prefer to where we're saying, yes, I'll inconvenience myself for the sake of eternity. Yes, I'll invest intentionally in another and pour into another. Yes, I'll say, say yes, that man, I, I don't feel like I'm ready. I don't feel like I'm equipped. But you know what? I'm going to take a step in the right direction because I want to make sure that when all of us are gone from this earth, if Jesus doesn't return in our lifetime, that there's a strong faith that's going to follow our generation and the people who are living today. Amen? That's not going to happen just because we cross our fingers it's going to happen because we took the call serious. And that's what Paul's trying to tell Timothy. Take the call serious. 
Invest in the next generation. Invest in people like I've invested in you. Pour into others like I've poured into you. Timothy, this is what you're called to do. Everyone who has been used by God has required a reliance upon his grace. So it's not like God has picked you to to be on task and be on mission because of something you possess on your own. No, it's because of him in you, amen? It's not because of you, but rather it's actually in spite of you because he's glorified through our weaknesses. He took a guy that couldn't speak well and said, go talk to Pharaoh and tell him, let my people go. He took a guy that wasn't even invited to the party when it came to picking the next king over Israel because he was out watching sheep and his own dad didn't even think he was worthy to be asked or or looked at. He picked him as king. He takes the least likely. He takes the people who it seems like that everyone else would consider not the right person, not the right fit. And God says, that's the one I'm going to use to invest. That's the one I'm going to use to move my agenda forward. And I believe every one of us, God wants to call and he wants to use for his glory, no matter how small, how visible, how big, it doesn't matter. It's all influencing and impacting eternity for the glory of God when a Christ follower says yes to bigger things, to greater things, and says no to themselves. When we deny ourselves and we say, yes, Lord, yes, God, I'll inconvenience myself for your kingdom and for your glory. And Paul tells Timothy this in 2 Timothy 2 and 15. He says, do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. He's telling him, listen, you have to make sure you do your best to prepare yourself to be ready because you know the opposition and you know the potential and you know the priority. So he puts the responsibility on Timothy. He says, Timothy, it's your responsibility to do your best to present yourself to God. He wants us to take this seriously. So what is my best? I need to ask myself that question. I want to make sure that I'm doing my best to present myself to God as someone who's taking this seriously, who's equipping, who's growing, who's seeking out those mentoring relationships, both to pour into me and for me to pour into others, that I want to rightly handle the word of truth, that I want to make sure that I'm growing in knowing the scripture, that I'm, I'm disciplining myself, surrounding myself with people who I can learn the word of God with. That's why at BCC we say that scripture is our starting point. That's our launch pad. That's where we start from. It's one of our core values because scripture helps to shape and define our worldview and how we see God and how we see the things in this world that are fleeting and passing away. And we can understand how to live with an eternal priority and lay up treasures in heaven where no thief can steal, where no rust can mess up and destroy and corrode and where nothing can corrupt it because these are eternal things, weighty things, things that matter. And the Christian lives their life that way. Amen, church? And a love and understanding for God's word must be passed on to the next generation. A love, listen, a love and understanding. A love and understanding for God's word must be passed to the next generation. Because for us to understand God's word is key. He did not give us his word to confuse us. He didn't say, I'm going to play a big practical joke. Watch this, angels. I'm going to give them this thing. We're going to call it the Bible. And they're not going to be able to understand anything in it. And we're just going to giggle about it. That would be cruel. So when people say, I just don't understand the Bible. Well, it's not God's intent for you to not understand the scripture. It is God's intention for you to understand every word that is written in there. And some of it, maybe we don't absolutely have complete clarity on, but he still is showing us something. 
We may not understand all of the whys behind certain things in Scripture happen, especially some things in the Old Testament that may be weird culture stuff, but here's what we can look for. I may not be able to understand the culture of the day in every little nuance, but I can consistently see and learn the heart, the character, and the nature of God. And I can see his plan for redemption. And I can see how man has tried to, to, to do it in his, his own way. He's tried to fix it his own way. He's tried to serve other gods. He's tried to do things that made, made sense to his own, uh, his own intellect. And he kept failing over and over and over again. No matter how good he tried to be, how much he tried to follow God's law, how, how religious he tried to be, how, how astute he tried to be, he, we kept falling short over and over again. And Jesus came in and he per- perfectly fulfilled the law. And then he made a way where nobody else could have made a way. And so he would be the undeniable answer, the way, the truth, the life, and no man could come to God except through him. And so now it's undeniable. We see our need. We see Jesus as the answer to our need. And we see that he has given us a promise and a hope that we're forever going to be with him. And he's given us the tools and equipping to live our life, to be able to live for God and live in light of eternity. And that's the purpose of scripture is to show us God, is to show us his plan, to show us his goodness. He wants us to see him and to see that he is faithful and that he's consistent and that he's worthy to be trusted and that as we see the scripture, then we begin to see fruit of the spirit of God on the inside of us. And now there's evidence that I'm actually knowing God because the evidence of knowing God is the fruit of my life, that his spirit is actually in me. That's why we call it the fruit of the spirit. It's the evidence that I'm I'm, I'm in relationship with God and he's changing me. And he's maturing me. And he's calling me to something bigger than myself that's supposed to outlast and outlive me. And so I get to be an instrument for his glory. I get to be a vessel used for his service. He invites us in. And we should count it an honor that he invites us in because he doesn't need us. He uses us in spite of us. Amen? (laughs) And even in our weakness and in our frailty, his, his power is demonstrated where he can take someone like you and me, a wretch, a sinner, a rebel, and he can forgive us, love us, welcome us into his family, and somehow mysteriously graft us into his family. The great mystery has been revealed. It's Christ in you, the hope of glory. That is the beauty of the gospel, and you are a carrier of the gospel if you are a follower of Jesus Christ. But as much as we love the things of God, as much as we love serving God, It's not supposed to end with us. We're supposed to invest and impact the next generation because we want to make sure that they understand, like Paul wanted to make sure Timothy understood the Scripture and understood the priority of the Scripture because if you understand something, then you can correctly apply it. And if you can correctly apply something, then you're going to have the confidence to be able to share it with other people. And it starts with understanding. And where does understanding come from? Well, here's what Scripture says in Proverbs 9 and verse 10. Scripture says this, that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. What does it mean to fear the Lord? It means to take Him seriously. It means that if He said it, He meant it. And when I begin to take God seriously, it creates a foundation for me to then begin to understand how to correctly apply the things of God because the fear of the Lord is beginning of wisdom. What is wisdom? Wisdom is correctly applying the knowledge that I've been given. That's when we know someone is wise is when they're not just head smart because anybody can be head smart. Anybody can be book smart. Anyone can memorize facts and pass the test, right? 
Anybody can do that. But where things really play out, and you want to know if someone actually got it and believes it and is convicted by it, is not in what they know and what they say, but rather in what they do, the fruit of their lives. Amen? And so Scripture says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. So if the fear of the Lord, taking God seriously, is the floor, if that's the foundation, the beginning of wisdom, and if wisdom is correctly applying this knowledge that I've been given, then I have to take God seriously before I can begin to correctly apply His Word. And then when I correctly apply His Word and I'm taking Him seriously, and I read His Word and I read about how Paul was writing to Timothy and I take it serious and I take this charge seriously to impact and invest in the next generation, then God, show me how to do this. I'm taking you serious. And Paul said, Timothy, pour yourself in this, devote yourself, be that worker who's, who, who's unashamed, who's rightly handling this stuff. Do your best to do everything you can to learn how to correctly apply so you can share this word to be an example because the next generation must see an example of our love for the scripture, amen? amen? They must see the priority to not only know what it says, but to see us live it out and see how it's relevant in our lives, amen? amen. Let's go over to chapter three of 2 Timothy, verse one. But understand this, in the last days there will come times of difficulty for people will be lovers of self, Lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness but denying its power. Avoid such people, for among them are those who creep into households and capture weak women burdened with sins and led astray by various passions. They're always learning and never able to arrive at a knowledge of the truth. Just as Janus and Jabris opposed Moses, so these men also oppose the truth, men corrupted in mind and disqualified regarding the faith. But they will not get very far, for their folly will be plain to all, as was of those two men. And then Paul draws the contrast. He says, you, however... You have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my priority, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, and at Lystra, and the persecutions that I endured, yet from them all the Lord rescued me. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus, they will be persecuted. While evil people and imposters go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived, but as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you have learned it and how from childhood you've been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness that the man of God may be complete and equipped for every good work. Church, it's our responsibility to set the tone for the next generation of an eternal priority. This is what Paul is communicating here to Timothy, and this is our big idea for today. It's this idea that it is our responsibility to set the tone for the next generation of an eternal priority. And I think that with what we've just read, as we're reading through the godlessness in the last days, we're going, mm-hmm, 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 mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. And some of it 
we evaluate our own life and we go, oh, 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 yep. And we read that and we're like, oh man, I still have some work to do. I haven't, I haven't arrived yet, right? And so God's still working on us too. And we can even see some of those characteristics and we're like, man, I need to really cling to the cross. I really need to pour in to his scripture. I really need to submit and obey to the leading and guiding of the Holy Spirit. I need to continue to grow in Christ-likeness and godliness, and I need to be able to lean into the grace of God the whole time and never lose sight of that and never stop depending on myself because I've been a Christian for X amount of years or I've been, you know, I've done all these good things because the moment I start trusting in that, I begin to drift from the gospel because the gospel is not reliance upon myself and what I've done. The gospel is reliance on Christ and Christ alone and nothing else. That's the gospel. And if you keep that central to your life, it will anchor you and you will model for those who are watching you that God has put in your charge and your care, whether it be a friend, whether it be someone God has strategically placed you with to mentor, whether it's a child, whether it's a grandchild, a niece, a nephew, no matter who it may be, you're pouring into them intentionally by the way you live your life, by the way you react, because God is actively at work in you because you're anchored in the gospel. You're anchored in the gospel and you model an eternal priority with the way you live And it's not just in a classroom. Good things, great things can happen in a classroom setting. So I'm not downplaying the idea of Christian education. I think that's necessary. But I can't just rely on Christian education. It has to be something I live out daily, not just something that I learn and know. And church, that's where we need to grow. And that's where we need to focus. And that's where God can use the strategic relationships he's placed. Maybe there's a co-worker. Maybe there's somebody that God has highlighted to you. That's how it works for me, okay? I just see someone God kind of highlights, and I just kind of drift towards them and begin to explore having a relationship with them. And, God, and sometimes God highlights them for a season, and sometimes it's a very long relationship. Um, there was a young man here today um, that uh, God has given me the opportunity to connect with since he was 15 years old. He left after first service because he didn't want to hear the sermon again. Um, and, uh, and God, God paired us together and I've learned a ton from him and he's poured into me and I've poured into him and he's the pastor now of the church that, uh, I moved away from to come here and to pastor here at BCC and just to get to be with him today in first service and go, wow, this is, this is that, this is, this is what we're talking about. This is what we're seeing. These relationships, these things that God highlights, these things God puts in our path. And thank God for those things, but being hyper aware of those and being intentional of those moments and those relationships, amen? Understanding, man, uh, that it's not just about uh, raising my kids to try to be good people and to make their life easy and make them not go through some of the hard things I went through, but making sure Jesus is at the center of everything and making sure there's an eternal priority there by the way we live. Pastor Evan uh, has just... Uh, shared with me uh, just some vision and some stuff that he has. And I love how God's using him as our discipleship pastor to create uh, just some incredible moments for us to connect as a church. And he had this vision of this idea of group hangouts, right? And so we began to do this hangout thing. And, and, and it was just an idea that he had to help people build relationship. And next thing you know, over 200 people are connected in our church. Through, through this, this vision, this idea, and like, wow, God used that in such a powerful way. But understand, as much as we love hangouts at BCC, um, the end isn't just for people to hang out and be friends. There, there's another step beyond that, okay? That's part of the strategy, all right? 
part of the strategy is just to get people to know each other and to connect on a relational level. But the end game is to get people connected in discipling relationships. And whether that turns into a group, a Bible study, whether that turns into a class, whether that turns into just a friend and a one-on-one where you guys have a weekly coffee or something where you spend time together, that's the next step and the purpose of that. And so we want to help equip you to do that. And Pastor Evan has come up with this great idea of spiritual mentoring and this thing that he wants to do for us on August 6th. Uh, as a church. And so I want to just give you a quick little commercial because, be, because people, people will always make the excuse, well, I don't know how to do this, right? I, I don't know the next step to take. There's going to be a panel that's going to be, uh, that's going to be doing a teaching that day from 9 to 11 in the morning, all right, on that Saturday morning. And it's going to be here at the church. And man, if you're really serious about learning how to be a spiritual mentor, put this on your calendar now make plans to be there because this is going to be a powerful time for our church to be equipped to go out and do the stuff we're preaching on, okay? So that way it's not just preaching and you get all amped up and you're like, okay, I want to go mentor somebody for Jesus and you get out and the enemy goes, you can't do that. The enemy goes, who do you think you are? And you go, oh, yeah, I guess I'll, I guess not right now. Even though God may be speaking to your heart, you need to be equipped. You need, you need to have some confidence and have some people alongside you who are encouraging you. That's what this day is going to be about. And it's going to be a couple hours. I believe it's going to be instrumental to seeing this thing lived out in our church if you're a person that wants to do this but doesn't know where to start. Okay? So make that a priority. Because Paul set the tone for Timothy to follow even in the way that he navigated difficulty. We want things to be better for the next generation easier and maybe some things will be and that's not a bad thing necessarily but there will be some things that won't be easier but our goal should not be to simply try to make sure that life is better or easier for the next generation but to make sure that they know who they are and whose they are and that they've seen their predecessors live with conviction and pass down their love for God and an eternal priority with the way they've lived their lives and that's you and I's responsibility So don't get distracted while trying to do good that you miss the bigger eternal picture. Let's read these last scriptures before we go today. 2 Timothy 4, Paul says, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead by his appearing in his kingdom. Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort, and complete patience in teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but they have itching ears. They will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. They're going to turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. But as for you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, and fulfill your ministry. Now, I, I know that we're not Timothy. I mean, unless your name is Timothy, but it's still not the same Timothy. So, <laughs> I know that we're not Timothy. I get that. And I know Timothy had a special call to do something that God had called him to do, but guess what? So do you. And I believe that the Apostle Paul's words are just as relevant for you and I as they were for Timothy in that moment because these are Scripture, God-breathed, Spirit-inspired words. They're living words. And so that means that they're still relevant. Amen? And I believe that the same relationship that Paul had with Timothy, passing that on to him and the same charge he gave to Timothy, that God is still using those words to give his people a charge to do what he's called us to do. Amen? And so here's what I'm going to ask you to do. I want you 
to actually do something with this message other than just feel feelings and think thoughts and maybe write down a few of those thoughts. I want you to ask yourself this question. How can you change one thing this week to the rhythm of your home life, the rhythm of your work life, the rhythm of your social life that has the potential to influence eternity? In light of this word today, I want you to evaluate. I'm not wanting you to change everything, you know, from this Sunday to next Sunday and you come back and everything's different. I want you to evaluate and say, what's one thing that God's highlighting in my life that if I change the rhythm of my life, the rhythm of my day-to-day activities, the rhythm of the way I interact with my spouse, the rhythm of how I interact with my children, the rhythm of how I interact with my coworkers, it, what's one thing that if I, if I adjusted that to be more eternal focused and prioritized eternity by the way I interacted or the way I did things, what's one thing that would cause the needle for the kingdom of God and the glory of God to be moved in eternity if I just did this one thing. Start there. I'm encouraging you, church, to start somewhere. Maybe it's connecting with someone. Maybe it's investing in a relationship. Maybe it's opening the scripture with someone. Maybe it's opening the scripture for yourself. Maybe it's spending a rhythm and a time in prayer that maybe you've neglected. Whatever it is, may the Spirit of God and His Word lead you and may you be obedient and step into that because I believe if we all do that, man, our church will just keep growing and being effective for the kingdom of God. Amen? I believe that. I'm convicted by that and I hope that you are too. So let's pray about it because we can't do this on our own. So Father, we need you. We thank you for your goodness in our lives. We thank you for your faithfulness to us. And we pray that as we've read your Word today, may we be inspired and stirred to be about your business of winning souls, making disciples, and leaving a legacy that is passed on to the next generation where Jesus is the focus. May we all do that, and may you lead us and help us to grow in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand? Before you go today, I just want to remind you that we have our prayer team that's available to pray with you. If God's doing something in your heart, or if perhaps you want to know more about Jesus and you want someone to pray with you about putting your faith and trust in Christ, we would love to have that conversation with you and pray with you. If you have any other needs, we wanna pray for you as well. Before you go, number six and 24 says, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May he make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon each and every one of you and give you his peace. God bless you, BCC. Have an awesome week. Thanks again for tuning in online. Our in-person service times are at 9 and 10.30 a.m. every Sunday. To learn more about BCC, visit us at bettendorfcc.com. Have a great day.